Sneak Attack. Show and Tell. Eureka. Ether Vial. Exhume. Reanimate. Shallow Grave. Natural Order. Gryo's Vengeance. Flash. Icarus. Narcomoeba. Blood Gas. Through the Breach. Didgeridoo. Dryad Arbor. Please stop. Y'all, let's talk about some news real quick. Oh, let's say let's point out we got Matt Pavlik and Sean O'Brien on the cast. Jacob Corey said he'd be back for his first cast in forever, but it is 23 minutes after our scheduled start time, and he's still dirdling. He said he was actually going to be here a half an hour before, so now he is 53 minutes late. So, moving on to news. All right, uh, the first one, which I know Sean and Matt don't care about at all. Uh, there is the Magic Online Holiday Festival. There's a whole lot of information contained in this post, and here is the only parts of it that matter. There is the Holiday Festival Vintage Championship on the 20th of December. Uh, you can qualify for this by going 3-1 or better in a Vintage Daily, or 4-0 or better in a Legacy Daily between the 10th and 19th of December. Here's the problem with that. There's only Vintage Dailies on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which means you can only qualify at one of six tournaments in Vintage. Um, it pays out some cool stuff, and the coolest thing is that if you are not playing Power or Bazaar, uh, Wizards will give you uh, ten or nine rows in a database. They will give you a full set of Power 9. Uh, Vintage Masters Draft is also back, and they are now doing quote-unquote gold vintage two-man queues, which is instead of paying $2 and possibly winning one pack, pay $10 and possibly win five packs. So if you have very good win percentage, that's a good way to grind out some value. Hey, so so uh, let's just take a, a, a you, you you brought it up. We might as well talk about it. If you are unpowered or didn't didn't want to play any of those uh, cards, bizarre and power, what deck would you play? I, you know, what what uh, if you wanted to try to snake in and get that unpowered prize? What what tact would you take? I think well, ancient the closest... cigarette control. No, I think the closest existing legacy deck to a vintage deck is probably to take. Blue Red Delver, take out the Lotus, two Moxes, Time Walk, and Recall, and replace those with, I don't know, um, maybe a Lotus Petal, and then just some random hate cards like Null Rod. Okay. I think that's probably, that's what I would do. I'm sure something better could be brewed up, but for someone who's not into Vintage, that's probably what I would do, is take my existing Blue Red Delver deck and just port it over to Vintage. How about just like four Pyro Blasts and a couple of Null Rods and some some more counterspells. Maybe some counterspells that cycle. What about, like, Eidolon or something? Just, like, Mono Red Burn. Is that too slow? Probably too slow without a way to rush it out. Like, an Eidolon on turn one is probably pretty fantastic. But an Eidolon on turn two, and they, especially if you're on the play, or on the draw, seems really bad. They've done a lot of stuff by the time you have an Eidolon down. Is the, the overall the overall metagame online is that shops, shops is a bit sparse. Is that still the case? Um, I'm seeing a bit more shops than I did previously because none of the cards, as far as I know, are bugged, but it is still by far the most expensive deck due to Wasteland being $110 and Black Lotus only about 200 So, yeah, there's less shops than you would expect. Um, How about Dark There's also depths? not a ton... Dark, dark Depths? Because you can play Imperial Seal. Isn't Imperial Seal like a dollar online? Yes, it is. So you get like three tutors, you get a bunch of duress effects... Um, and you can just play straight up duress and vintage. You don't really need Thoughtseize. Yeah, so you play a bunch of duress effects and hex steps, uh, your own mental missteps probably, and what other spoiler cards? You can play your strip mine. 
So you play some light land destruction. You could main four black ley lines, uh, and then have like a little. You can also play like two or three tabernacles to be prepared for the young yeah. pyromancer matchup because that card's like six dollars. Somebody out there listening, try to try to mize that uh, power nine set with um, uh, with hex steps, and we'll, I'll, I'll give you something cool. Besides, besides the, the set of power, power? well, yes, yeah, besides set the set of power, of power I'll, I'll 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 brew up something good for you, and I'll sign it, and I'll mail it to you. Cool. I will probably be streaming at least two dailies that weekend, possibly three. But uh, I will I will be attempting to qualify for this, even though it's a time that isn't fantastic for me. So there will probably actually be a lot of people streaming, especially on Sunday with the changes to SCG. But we're going to get to that in a couple minutes. Um, are we ready to move on to our next very short piece of news? And that was? Um, prices on power have surged unbelievably after uh, New Jersey. That is true. Um, as an example, Star City's buy prices are, and this is near mint, and near mint doesn't exist, but unlimited 4500 for a Lotus, beta 9000, alpha 12500 Shit's fucked, yo. And, like, as another example, not that this is a great place to look for prices on power, but before New Jersey, the cheapest beta Lotus you could get on TCG Player was 5600 now it's 7600 I heard dealers actually complaining at New Jersey that so many people were upgrading their power into beta that they couldn't keep beta power in stock and they had too many unlimited lotuses. Hmm. Well, the problem is, like, a lot of the modern cards and and unlimited had surged in price. And the black border power had not really adjusted for a long time. Like, black border power, you know, slowly increased. But unlim- people were like, yeah, I want to get into vintage. Buy all the unlimited power. And so they, that gap, that upgrade gap, was not not that drastic. So you, I, I could definitely see people just like dumping their unlimited power in some modern staples, and oops, now I've got Blackboard power. A friend who uh, drove up with some Star City folks um, said that on the floor, essentially, you know, there was this mini run on Star City's uh, stuff that they had out for sale, and that the the snapback from that was essentially that all they were left with were a couple of really destroyed unlimited pieces and um it's not necessarily that they're trying to corner the market but they literally ran out of inventory there you know that this isn't some a lot of people go to star city because if star city says it's near mint it's fucking near mint and they're gonna offer pretty okay buy prices and they're very convenient to go through i sold to star city at new jersey not my cards of friends and the wait to get the wait to have them buy your cards was thirty plus minutes almost all weekend. Right. So yeah, and and you can see now they are completely sold out of them. So I just think I think that's really interesting. It kind of sucks for those that don't have power and we're looking to get into it. Well, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, it's not this great, uh, you know, evil corporation conspiracy like a lot of people are barking about them. Right. right. It's it's rare stuff. It's increased demand. Yeah. They legitimately sold out of all their stock. And as a provider, or as the world's largest provider of Magic the Gathering cards, um, you know they're, they have to go they, get them. They have to go get some, and in order to do that, you raise your buy price. So, um, I think you saw this with with uh, with Fetchlands, and um, they settled a little bit eventually. And so, I don't know that it's a giant conspiracy. I just think it's a reaction to them literally being sold out. You know? Yeah, they've got they've got to get something, and they'll pay whatever it costs. And like, if you want to buy an Alpha Lotus from them, that's fine. It's going to cost you a shitload of money because they have to go get one. And the problem is, I mean, getting the getting the Blackwater power and even just regular power out of the hands of collectors is tough. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people who have them, generally, are not in need of money. A lot of these, like, no offense, 
Amazon like early twenty somethings who make a decent amount of money per year who are just like, What are you gonna give me this much money on it? I don't need to sell it. I make enough money. Well and that's like I have a friend who's talking about downgrading his gorgeous Alpha Lotus just because it's like, man, I can downgrade to beta and get a few thousand dollars. But then at the same time it's like, I don't really need a few thousand dollars right now. And that's <laughs> That's the the problem. Yeah. So I mean, if SUG walked up to me and like, hi, we want to buy your Beta Lotus, I'd be like, no, I'm not really interested. If I needed the money, maybe. But I think there are a lot of people in a lot of different situations where they're just okay holding it. Yeah, and that's how I am right now. Like, I don't play my vintage stuff hardly at all, but I'm okay just holding it. And mine's not even the super pimp stuff. Mine's all unlimited and fairly beat up. I mean, the only the only shame I see... And I don't care. You know, if you buy something, it's yours. You can set it on fire if you want to. I don't really want to get too into it. But I guess I'm just hoping that most people who are buying stuff are intending to play vintage because of the increased exposure. And hopefully this stuff, you know, won't just get slabbed. I mean, that's that's a little bit lame. I mean, I don't mind people... I mean, you want to get there were a lot of people in the hashtag MTG finance community guessing that last year would have been the year that something like this happened to power because with the 20th anniversary, you would see the collectors, the people who just want to slab it coming out and buying a set of power to say they have a set of power, which is why I got all mine last year before the 20th anniversary hit. And because we forced you to. Yes, that too. I couldn't be a member of the cast without power. Sorry, Julian. You're out. (laughs) I didn't have power then. Womp womp. Well, in your defense, at the time, a Beta Underground C was worth more than a Lotus. And now, four Beta Underground Cs are still worth more than a Lotus, so it doesn't matter. Nah, All right, let's move what's on, a but, Beta but Lotus? first, 10 grand? 10k, yeah. And so four Beta Undergrounds, what, 2,500 each? 2,500 to 3k, yeah. So at least the world is somewhat right now, and that a Lotus is worth <laughs> four Undergrounds Well, for a time, each. you could trade straight across, and that was a fucking weird time. Yeah, that, that just was... didn't seem right to me. A market correction was clearly due. <laughs> just up, not not down. Just. All right. So should we should we introduce the prodigal son who who has returned to us? Uh, hey, sure. Why not? It's uh, I haven't played a lot of Legacy. To be fair, I haven't played a lot of Magic recently. To be fair, all I've been doing is complaining about Magic. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jacob Corey. Yeah. All he does is complain about Magic. You'd think it was Sean O'Brien or something. Yeah, but I, I don't uh, even get a chance to go out and play Magic. I think yeah. the last, the, I think the last big event I played was in August. Fuck off! <laughs> Who are you? So much hate. What happened to you? What happened? Uh, I got domesticated or something. But um, no, I want to go to a lot of events, and I had a lot of PTO at the beginning of the year, paid time off, and I just don't have the opportunity to go anymore since I wasted it all on a New Jersey trip back in May. Brutal. So, that's, you know, it's, that's a, it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, next year, I'm planning on doing just as little magic playing and more attempting to finish off my Alpha Power 9. Sweet. Yeah. Did I see you playing uh, Magic the Gathering online recently? You did, maybe. Shame. Maybe. But uh, <laughs> I did join a, dr- a booster draft. I wanted to see how it set. And, of course, on the second pick, the client crapped out on me. Gave me a naturalize, even though I was going for one of those like three color superlands. So of course uh, I filed compensation and I got the draft set back. So at least the uh, compensation free draft. system, yeah, at least free drafts. At least the compensation system is working much better because if it's at their fault for creating such a shitty program and not maintaining it, then at least they're willing to fork up and. 
give you your product back. So that's nice. I will give them props for what, what props are due. Their compensation policy is much better than it used to be. That said, the program's still a piece of shit. And I can't. Yes, yes, it is. So we've we've introduced back uh, our our one of our original members who had been missing. Uh, do we want to move on to the biggest news of the week? Yeah, how the West Coast got fucked by Star City Games. <laughs> wow. The Southeast also. I mean, that, to be fair, neither of those are brand new items. That they've always been messing around with West Coast. They just I know, don't I know. want to come out to the West Coast. And I think I want to at least start off the topic by saying. Ultimately, at, and at the end of the day, Star City Games is a business for profit. They have to make money. They have to earn money. They have to pay a lot of employees and probably pad up some retirement account for Pete Hoefling. But their primary reason to be is profits. So that's With that said, can we get the bullet points of what these changes are for those who don't know? Oh, right. Okay. That's right. So that's, that's kind of like the underlying cause. But basically what... Um, Star City announced is that they are changing up the format for their open series. Um, the standard open is, go- or let's say, not this necessarily a standard open. The Saturday open is going to be a marquee twenty thousand dollar event. So they're essentially doubling the prizes on the Saturday event, um, in recognition that a lot of people are showing up to their events. They're very successful. They're very popular. They are turning them into essentially a Grand Prix styled event. So you play nine rounds on day one. And six rounds on day two with a top eight. So essentially nine rounds day one, nine rounds day two if, if you go undefeated. In order to accommodate that, they are scaling back the legacy open from a 10K event to a 5K premier IQ. So basically, they're just cutting the prize in half. Back to the way they were before. Back to where they were about two years ago. Still the sting if you liked and you enjoyed the Sunday events, but... Essentially, the event is still there. It's just not a marquee event. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, people are crying, but I, practically, I don't really see the difference. I mean, it, you know, you you if you wanted to play Legacy on Sunday, can you or can you not still play Legacy on Sunday? You yes. can certainly. You can play. still play Legacy on yes. Sunday, and there's okay. still lots of prizes to win, and yes. it's still and probably the, a big the, room and tournament for yes. people. And and the and ever since they added the modern event, I mean, I, I, there's been a slight downturn in the turnout for Legacy anyway. But if you truly enjoy Legacy, then why does it matter to you? The extra people that were playing on Sunday were were people who felt forced into playing Legacy anyway because there wasn't anything else to do. So uh, I think the, the modern primary event, way that this affects people is that there will not be as much Legacy streaming. I think that's the primary the way coverage. it affects people. Oh. The most of the, well, most well, of the think, rest I of it... I think that's a different issue altogether. So yeah, the, I think in terms most of the, the tournament rest of it is just people butthurt. Yeah, in terms of the tournament structure, I see no fault in that. If you're a standard grinder or you enjoy playing two days of Magic before you get your prizing, all the more power to you. It's essentially Grand Prix every weekend. Yeah, yeah. It's great shit. My, uh, my only other complaint is that they did this to events that were already scheduled, so I was looking very forward to playing in a Legacy Open, the first Legacy Open ever in Houston, Texas, and now there isn't one. Right. So that, I mean, that sometimes can't be avoided. Sometimes they just have to throw that out. It's feel bad. I'm I sorry, mean, you're going to get... I guess you're going to have to... You're going to have a Saturday full of uh, beer drinking. 64-plus people, I mean, whoever made the day two cut for standard, if those people were going to play Legacy, and there's no guarantee they were, they may have just played Modern... You know, minus those people, minus the people that now play the modern event on Sunday, you're just going to have a smaller field for Legacy, which... Oh, they're going to be softer, for sure. Yeah, which you could argue... I don't know if they'll be softer, but you could argue they'll be 
less people probably and thus it'll be and it will be more legacy players it will be less people like you said who feel forced into it who are playing janky decks or decks that are no fun to play against or budget decks. right it will be more people who want to play like i I may not have to get the oracle text for underground c uh and read it to my opponent and this is one of the the hidden positives i also want to point out while we're saying just the facts of the matter um you said the saturday open not the standard open there will be legacy opens so these will be two-day events, and this is an extremely positive thing because we've only got the schedule out till June, and previously the only two-day legacy events all year were the two or three Grand Prix. We now have six scheduled two-day legacy events in 2015, and we don't even have the open schedule from June 29th onward. So that seems like a really positive thing in terms of being able to see what a very, very large tournament's metagame ends up being. Right, and this is where it comes back to essentially a business decision for Star City. They know their markets, they know who's going to their events, they know how many people go to their events. So they, from an event planning perspective, they can figure out, well, let's say in Boston, Massachusetts, they can afford to run a legacy. Worcester. Or whatever. They can afford to run a legacy open because they know they can get the thousand plus people that would want to play legacy on that grand of scale. Whereas, let's say, St. Louis, Missouri, probably going to be a standard open. Yeah, it is interesting which ones they've chosen for Legacy, which thus far are January 10th, 11th, Philadelphia, East Coast, uh, January 31st, February 1st, Indianapolis, so the Midwest, and uh, Worcester, the East Coast, slash the Midwest. So, yeah, it's, it's the big hubs of Legacy thus far are where they've chosen to do Legacy Opens. There's also a couple modern Opens scheduled here, which is interesting. Yeah. One thing I don't like about the changes, especially for Standard players, is if you come to play Standard and you do well, you are stuck there for two days. Now, maybe not... I'm sure some people can spare two days. And so, you were always stuck do. there for two days because Top 8 was always on Sunday. But you're, just stuck there for two, not... you're just stuck there for two full days now. That's correct. So for some people, that's not going to be super convenient. I mean, I would imagine most people have the same opinion that I do, that if I book my flight out at 4 p.m. on Sunday and it turns out I can't make it because I'm moneying a tournament, the moneying the tournament is probably worth it. Of course. I'm just saying, like, not everyone monies. Some people yeah. do have work there's, on... There's you know. there's obviously a lot of negativity floating around about this stuff. I actually think there's there's some positive things to be had here, like the, cha- like the multiple two-day events. Um there will be less legacy streaming. They haven't confirmed what the streaming will be. It's been implied that maybe some of the top eight will be streamed, but I think this leaves a big opening for the people who would have streamed their local store or some slightly bigger events, or even just Magic Online who would have streamed on Sunday but didn't because of the co- the competition from Star City Games. Like, you know, us. Right, and I think I think the, the big takeaway is that the events are changing. That's one side of it. But now the coverage is actually getting reduced or being more focused on the Saturday event. So from that perspective, it is a loss to Legacy because of the, expo- the exposure essentially eliminated. You know, people would regularly tune in to Star City Live and see the events for the Legacy portion. Sometimes they tune I mean, in on they Saturday. got 22000 for the final of the Grand Prix. Right. Like, clearly there's some interest in watching these formats. Right, and I think the only... The, I think the big... T- kind of the big sting was here we are just completed a 4200 person legacy grand prix the third largest grand prix in volume and the second largest constructed grand prix and essentially a couple days later we're saying oh well we're actually changing how we're going to do our business 
Well, and uh, something like this was clearly planned in advance of the Grand Prix. It just happened to be released after. It just sucks that they did the hype machine on this Grand Prix and then had an announcement that kind of went the opposite direction. Does anybody think that that GP got 4,200 people because Legacy is a great, diverse format with awesome options to include new players and great diversity? I mean, that GP got 4,200 people because it's the nation's population center within a six-hour drive, and essentially your tournament and was you had double like paid hundred dollars expected value to drop exactly like and star city was running the event which is no small takeaway right yeah, they, 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 they run a solid case. event but th- they said i think it was 297 people dropped round zero which legacy open was set up <laughs> which is you had 4400 people sign up pretty much for the product because the product was so impossible to get and then by round three, the tournament was back down to a manageable size of, like, 3,500. I will say, like, if you looked at the pairings, it was – there were a lot of people who dropped very early, but it wasn't that many people. Like, there were easily 3,000 people actually playing Legacy in that room. And that's exciting. That's that's Definitely. good. That is a good barometer of the eternal format, the desire to play, um, not commenting on the availability of play, but at least the desire to play. Um, and of course, I wasn't at that event. Uh, Sam, you were. I was. How? What? What was your impression? Like, what was kind of a an average deck that you saw? There was everything there. Uh, honest, honestly, there was name a deck. I saw it. Um, I played against weird versions of decks. I saw weird versions of decks. Uh, Joe Lawsett was walking around the building because he had a buy round one. And he was just tweeting names of cards he had never seen played in Legacy. And he tweeted in the first hour 15 or 20 cards. And that's some of it is, you know, you have the thing where to some people, and there's nothing wrong with this, Legacy just means playing the old cards that they used to play with. They're not playing a Tier 1 or Tier 2 or even Tier 3 deck. They're playing their Red Deck Wins deck with Ball Lightning. And that's neat. That's one of, like, the really cool things about Legacy. Kind of sucks when you get paired against those guys because, like, you're not prepared for them. But yeah, there was there was everything in the room. How many fire and lightning chain lightnings do you think were in the room? You know, uh, somebody commented that uh, some dealer had written down what the most requested cards were, and the single most requested card uh, at his dealer booth was foreign black border lightning bolt. <laughs> I don't know if that's like maybe people were hoping somebody would ask for the oracle text on lightning bolt or something, but or maybe just I that people see... wanted to, you know. Play a nicer version of Lightning Bolt because it, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if you know some hack decided to sit down and sort all forty two hundred deck lists that Lightning Bolt would be on par with Brainstorm as the most played card in that room. That wouldn't surprise me. I also saw um, a lot of people who because there's so many people in that area who had you know somebody's extra deck, so they were playing Merfolk because you can lend out Merfolk and it has no effect on almost any other deck in the format. Uh, and I saw a couple people on, like, Burn and Blue Red Delver where it was, you know, oh, this is my friend's extra deck. All I had to do was get bolts or get the fetches, which I had for Modern. Uh, I actually saw people tweeting looking to borrow Volcanic Islands as close to the event as 20 minutes before the player meeting. Well, Volcanic Islands should be the most popular card of the tournament. There were, like, 8,000 Delver, Delver secrets in that room. Like, what do you Yeah, expect? and Volcanic Islands were selling for, like, 300. Yep. Anyway, um, so... To summarize, basically, 
we are getting fewer legacy opens. The legacy opens we have will be bigger events. Uh, legacy will not be streamed as much. Um, other than that, we're going to put the announcement in the uh, in the show notes and let people make their own judgments. The sky is not falling. Yeah, the sky is not falling. Uh, Legacy is not dead. But this announcement came at the same time as the source loading very slowly, which might have made people think that Legacy was dead. Hash- hashtag dying format. If anybody's looking to sell, just come and you know hit us up, and we'll uh, we'll take your cards off your hands. Well, and in terms of reducing prices, you also have, now that New Jersey is over, there will be a lot of people who got cards just for that event who will now be getting rid of them. Speaking of cards, I hear some new cards released. Uh, Commander, I think I saw a couple on stream from uh, the event at New Jersey. You know, somebody asked one of the Watsi uh, guys who's on Reddit all the time about how True Name Nemesis was a mistake because they shouldn't print something that's that good right before a major event. And he said something along the lines of, don't worry, we've taken that into consideration. Then Containment Priest was $50 on site. Yeah, but they gave you a week, right? Yeah, but if something's going to impact the format that much, it would be nice if there was more than a week to acquire the card. I mean, if you want the card that badly, you're a lazy fuck if you don't go to your local Walmart or wherever and get your damn Containment Priest. I mean, compare and contrast with literally releasing the product the afternoon before Eternal Weekend. That's a different story. When everyone's traveling to the site, that that was the problem last year. Now, to be fair, Containment Priest is a sideboard card. It's not really a main deck build around me strategy. So, all right. So let's talk about these cards. The first one, Containment Priest. Uh, it's a white creature, colorless and a white human priest. Has flash. Um, it's a human cleric. Human there are cleric, no priests right in Magic, Jacob. That's. Uh, I, I beg to differ. Soltari Priest. He's technically not a priest, unfortunately. Which which one is the cleric where it looks like the kid's giving him a blowjob and it says something about the blows of the unbelievers in the flavor text? Clergy and Vec. So, alright, containment priest. Yeah, so 2-2, human cleric, as Sam pointed out. Uh, It has flash, so it can be played as an instant. And its card text is, if a creature were to enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it instead. Non-token creature, important. Non-token, true. That's th- that's kind of the build-around-me strategy. All right, so I have an exercise we're going to do. We're going to go around the room, and each of us is going to name a somewhat playable eternal card that this card hoses, okay? And I'll start. Green Sun Zenith. Sneak Attack. Show and Tell. Eureka. Ether Vial. Exhume. Reanimate. Shallow Grave. Natural Order. Gryo's Vengeance. Flash. Icarus. Narcomoeba. Bloodgast. Long story short, there's a lot of cards here. <laughs> I was going to say Gravecaller, but now I'm starting to get into like uh, really offbeat strategies here. Through the Breach. <laughs> so yeah, clearly this is a quite playable card. Um, Didgeridoo! I think the, the most interesting Please thing stop. Dryad Arbor. Is... Wait, wait, wait. If you play Dryad Arbor, will it exile it? Like from your Yeah, hand? if you fetch for it. Yeah. Well, what if you just play it from your hand? You didn't cast. Because you don't cast it. Yeah. That's an interesting question. We'll have to ask uh, Julian. But you can't respond to the land playing ability, so it doesn't matter. Like you wouldn't be able to like get someone for it. Do you know what I mean? But I think the the main important thing with this card is that it has no trigger. It's an exiling replacement effect. So at no point does the creature attempt to enter play. It just becomes exile. 
Nice. So I, I think the one thing that's really interesting about this is the most obvious place for a card like this to go is Death and Taxes, which plays Ether Vial. So once you've used this, your Ether Vials are blank cards. Oh, it also affects Flicker Wisps. Yes. It makes them real fine. Mm. Well, assuming you play it correctly on your opponent's creatures. Yeah, I would hope that you would. Yeah, that's that, that's the skill level portion. That's true. Your so restoration angels also get very bad. Restoration Angel, not really a thing in Legacy right now, is it? Uh, I think it's too expensive. Four mana See, the is, problem is, like, is I was always trying to Resto Angel my Siege Rhinos in Legacy, but... Uh... I usually Resto Angel yeah, the take your modern format and get it out of my Legacy. <laughs> no, we'll talk about Siege Rhino later. But where do no, I see this won't. card actually being used? <laughs> Maybe in the sideboard of Death and Taxes, even though it does shut off your own vials. The Elves matchup is so horrendous, you maybe want to play this card. Maybe. We've seen a couple copies in Stoneblade or Delver lists that uh, need additional protection against Elves and Sneak Attack, or Reanimators. So it has a lot of uses in essentially the Tempo, Tempo Control decks. Yeah, I like it for the reason I like Meddling Mage, that... It's a cross-cutting solution that can hit two or three different decks, and it also is a clock, and that's always a good thing. Just sitting there with a Graph Digger's cage is fine, but then it just gets decayed and maybe somebody goes nuts. The cage isn't attacking. And I think the big thing, too, is that it has flash. And a great creature type, human. Yes. Um, I have a question for you, for Sean. Um, what do you think about this against Oath? I think it's... it. It suffers from the same thing Cage suffers for in that it dies to abrupt decay, but... That's that's my big thing, is all of the stuff that they bring in against Cage also hits Containment Priest. Literally every single thing. Except Hercules. I mean, and Nature's Claim. I guess, there, there's I guess a few things Hercules and Nature's Claim, which but those hit other things too. Yeah, I mean, I think but if like, you've got a blue-white control stuff. shell and you're looking for an answer to Oath, again, you can play this off a of cavern, it attacks, which Cage doesn't necessarily do... I think in Vintage, the utility you get out of its splash damage isn't like Legacy. There aren't that many more things that this hits. In Legacy, this cuts across maybe two or three popular archetypes, whereas in Vintage, it's definitely more narrow, whereas Cage shuts off Yawgmoth's will. But I think I, if my deck was blue-white and I had the card Cavern of Souls, I think this would be a no-brainer. Maybe I still play a, a, a Graph Digger's Cage to cut across. To augment it. Well, the other thing I really like, though, is the flash, especially against a deck like Oath, where they're going, okay, Oath trigger on the stag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, that's going to exile that card, actually. I like the card a lot. I mean, I'm glad to see that they're actually printing hate bears with flash, because the Spear of the Labyrinth mistake was, um, yeah. Is it just me, or does the little guy in the ball she's holding look kind of like George W. Bush? She looks like Oprah. Oprah never looked like that, don't even. A young Oprah? No, young Like Oprah. 70 pounds ago? Maybe. Um, this is definitely like, uh, oh. Grace Jones I feel like the Doctor... and Conan the Destroyer? No, I feel like this was the... Going deep on that one. You know they're making a Conan TV show? Fuck that. Oh, God. Like, like not the Conan, not the redhead, but the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, they're there making... you listed the crucial problem, which is that the Conan TV show will not have Arnold Schwarzenegger because <laughs> he's old. No, this, this lady looks a lot more like uh, one of the investigative leads in uh, the Sherlock series, the British Sherlock series. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, we're, we're going a little, uh, a little too the far. Here. Anyway, I could get mine altered to have Grizzlebrand in that little orb, and he's just like, let me out of the snow globe! And she's like, suck it. Whatever next cards, card. yeah, whatever cards I've ever met. Twincaster Mage is the next one I think we uh, want to go over. 
dual master dual caster mage oh sorry you got to keep in mind this list was typed by sean so everything in it is very sarcastic no i have all these cards in german so i don't even know what the english name is in german (laughs) the dual caster mage is zauber verdopplerin doesn't that mean like two two clone yeah two clone anyway card seems okay i've actually talked about this we've talked about this card in the card creation thread Quite a few times, actually. Hey, hey let's similar. stop doing this thing where we talk about it before we say what it does. Oh, okay, fine. Dual Caster Mage, 1RR. It's a 2-2 with Flash. It's also a human wizard. When Dual Caster Mage enters the battlefield, copy target instant or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Quote, it has been my experience that disasters like to strike in pairs. End quote. Yeah, and this guy is really cool I, I mean i think he probably could have been red red and they could have pushed it a little harder um but it's worth noting that if you were playing this in some kind of heavy red shell maybe with a splash of blue for for your own soft counters like if your opponent tries to resolve let's say a brainstorm or a treasure cruise you know your copy goes off first assuming the dual caster mage resolves and assuming they don't have something that can pull the copy off the stack and you then get the benefits of their spell first and can then counter back. I I think this guy is pretty pretty cool. I mean, he definitely adds a, um, a different element. I just wish he had been red-red. That's my main gripe. But That's what I always kind of like card-created him as, was a 2-2, two, 2-1 two, 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 for red-red. Yeah, I mean, even, mean? The, even the stock comparison to like Snapcaster Mage, which is essentially a regrow, uh, this guy's overcost compared to its original effect of fork. So I definitely agree with both Sean and Matt. It's one two mana and Sam. Everyone, everyone here agrees. It's it's one two mana too much. Fork was the big comparison on the mana drain thread that basically said this guy's unplayable because fork is unplayable. Like the two two is not worth the additional uh the additional mana. Right. If I it mean was in the some same kind mana, of shell where you're different. obviously running cavern and I'm I'm picturing things like Chalice of the Void and Maybe Thorn of Amethyst, things like that. Oh, you get to cavern through your own chalice. Oh, God, value. Yeah, and you could always do that. And another interesting play is that if your opponent attempts to run something into your chalice to try to be a fucking smartass, you can actually flash this guy in, copy their one casting cost thing with your chalice trigger on the stack, steal their brainstorm, and then counter theirs with your chalice. Yeah, I think the big the big point here is copied spells don't get cast, so chalice of void doesn't get triggered. Yeah. I think this guy basically, he's really cool. There's a lot of play with him. Like copying like a lethal entreat the angels out of miracles or something <laughs> could be really cool. Or like a dig through time. or like Those are all really cool things. At three mana, I don't see a deck that really wants him. Like going through like blue red delver, he costs too much. Going red through, stompy. Yeah, I think, I, I, think you're, I think trying to fit it into some shitty deck on the internet is just not going to work for this guy. I mean, you're, you're playing him in some red humans deck that's got prophetic flame speakers magus of the moon etc etc and like if you're gonna be playing i think if you're gonna play anything other than mono red you're just gonna play blue cards that are better than this card well he was actually seeing some playing jund jund nickfit for a while because i mean nickfit doesn't care how can you say for a while he's been out for like two weeks (laughs) because they've been trying it for the entire two weeks guys come on what this mass community of jund veteran explorer deck players (laughs) that the five people have been there are dozens of us (laughs) 
Uh, people have been seeing some success with it, but it's not like they're playing what two of them or something. I don't. Know. I, I think I think if he has a home, it's mono red dragon stompy shell, which is just human stompy now. And I think it's called Christian Bale now. As a flash guy to, to hunt planeswalkers and to copy the better spells that your blue opponents have in their decks. Um, and I, the, if you're not going to leverage him with Cavern, then yeah, I, I think there are blue spells that do a better job of doing this. But the main thing is is that you can make him uncounterable and he's got a body. If if there was a counter spell that said blue, blue, one, um, you know, copy it, this spell can't be countered and you get a 2-2 two, two Drake token, you know, that's a lot of what this is, assuming you can get a, a Cavern in play. I think if you're not playing four Caverns and some kind of red blood moon shell this guy is a brick but that that, that I think if your drake helpful. tokens do not have a picture of drake the rapper you're also doing it wrong yes but i could i could also though see this like an edh where this is de- like actually designed for just being insane because you know a player plays a 28 mana spell and you're just oh make my own copy of it you lose yeah yeah anyway i bought four of them i think he's kind of cool but we're good anyway what are some other uh, cards from those commander sets? Uh, the next one on our list is uh, Duretti Scrap Savant. I will read this one. It is three and a red. Planeswalker Duretti. And it's got a very angry green goblin with a weird white hat. He looks like he's from Menoth and War Machine. Let's be honest. He looks like a goblin Ku Klux Klansman. A little bit. Uh, he comes in with three loyalty. Plus two. Discard up to two cards. Then draw that many cards. Minus two, sacrifice an artifact. If you do, return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, this ability is why Sean has listed this in the show notes as Duretti, Sundering Titan Producer. And minus ten, you get an emblem with, whenever an artifact is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. And apparently this card can be How your much is commander. the starting loyalty, Sam? Starting loyalty is three. And it can start as your commander, which is extremely relevant in internal formats. Exactly. <laughs> very, this that's guy a very important is, line of text. This guy's fucking awesome. I mean, this is like all the upside of Goblin Welder with like none of his vulnerabilities. I recognize that he's four, but I'm picturing decks with like four Grim Monoliths, uh, all the Soul Lands. Um, the fact that he's the discard outlet and the Welder to me just seems awesome. Would you play this guy with Possessed Portal? That's a hard lock almost, right? I would just play him with Sundering Titan because I love Sundering Titan. And the fact that you can sack Sundering Titan number one to get another Sundering Titan back to just continue to loop Sundering Titans is just fantastic to me. Yep, and any any uh, artifact with a comes into play or leaves play trigger is made twice as good. Worm Coil. I mean, Worm Coil oh is God. insane. Battle Ball. Battle Ball. Um, Spine of Ishaw. Spine. Soldevi Simulacrum actually or Solemn Simulacrum, sorry, is uh, also, I think, okay with this guy. And the other thing that I thought, if you're going to play a deck with all the Soul Lands, um, Chalices, and you're maybe going to try to power this guy out, maybe you don't play Chalice, but anyway, um, I think even the Wellsprings can get you some mileage here. Like, Ancient Tomb fetch up a basic mountain um, to try to get this guy online, maybe like turn two, um, seems, seems pretty good as well. You you could also play like in Legacy you could play Chrome Mox and Vintage obviously you could play Real Moxes but you could you could jam this out turn one with a really really good starting hand yeah yeah I think the decision with when building around this guy would be uh, do you want to play Welder also and you know because the assumption is you're going to be discarding cards and um, 
you know, welder, of course, is fantastic in that world. Welder doesn't necessarily mesh well with uh, Chalice of the Void unless you're fortunate enough to play Cavern and get the perfect draw. So it would be interesting to see if you could build around this guy with a Stompy Shell or more of a Control Shell with Faithless Lootings, Goblin Welders, um, this guy, and kind of go that route. I think that uh, you could play it with Goblin Welder. Here's my reasoning. Um, people are probably going to try to counter a Goblin Welder, so you're going to be pulling counter spells out of their hand before you get to Dreddy. And this guy starts with three, and his super awesome ability is minus two, so he's an awesome bolt target, which Goblin Welder also is. Yeah. So as this is not like super great value, but running out a Goblin Welder to pull out their counter magic or their bolt effects seems perfectly fine when you're going to go, okay, take your counter spell or bolt out of your hand, slap this guy on the battlefield, and win the game. Yeah. If I get all my German ones in my next week, I'm, I'm running four of these at Star City. This, this guy is just awesome. Do I have your German ones? No, you have a pile of really shitty German cards. Yeah, that's what I thought. I've just, I looked through a few of them. Um, I have one other question. Are you ever using this guy's ultimate? I think it's going to be an up-down, up-down kind of guy. I, I mean, I can't imagine a world in which you minus him twice and aren't in just an absolutely dominating board position, right? Yeah, I think, that's I my think thought the 10, is I mean, the 10 requires, what, uh, four <laughs> turns to set up, and then the fifth turn to use the emblem, and then you're still not getting much value out of it because you're still limited to once a turn. Yeah. I think, really, the, the 10 is at a point where if you haven't already won the game by the time this is at 10, what have you been doing with the last several turns? Um, maybe you're just recursively mind-slavering and just having fun. I don't know. You're doing some. You're showboating, right? You're trying to win a match one o o. But a couple of things that are neat about him, the the, uh, the other neat part about him is that his minus two is a sacrifice that just happens on resolution. Um, kind so, of like Transmute Artifact, right? It, exactly, yeah. So it, compare that with Welder. Um, Welder chooses a target artifact a player controls and a target artifact in the player's graveyard. And on the resolution of Goblin Welder, the card asks, are these still legal? I think even the new Oracle text specifies that. Um, then you simultaneously swap them. I, I think you simultaneously sacrifice the artifact and return the artifact to the battlefield. So this guy's a little different in that if there's only one choice, for example, um, you know, anyway, the, the, you choose the sacrificing of the, of the artifact, which obviously means you can't do it to other players' artifacts, but... You choose it on resolution, so in that way, it's a little more bulletproof than Goblin Welder. Um, if you have more than one artifact on the battlefield, you've also pointed out pointed out an important difference is not being able to do things to your opponent's artifacts. Not as big a deal in Legacy, but definitely a big deal in Vintage. Yeah, uh, I think this guy this guy could be close in Vintage. He's um super easy to cast. We've seen red shop decks before that you know try to hedge some of the inconsistency of shops. By, by adding some red stuff to help, usually Welder being the, the main one. You could play Bizarre yeah, could, in that deck, I could see too. this being played in, like, a, a Moon Stacks or Panther Stacks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can we bring back uh, Black Red Stacks with Bob? Oh, God, yes. The most expensive deck in Vintage? Three Tabernacles? Bizarres? Oof. Yikes. <laughs> anyway, I, I think this guy's pretty good. I don't know if he's. Uh, I don't know if he'll make a splash because he's going to be tough to. You really have to build your deck around him. But uh, I, also I think can see him pretty... seeing some play in Legacy, though. I mean, the Painter deck might want to play him. Um, the other deck that I can think of is the uh, is the 
new moon deck, the, what is it called? Dragon Stompy? Mod Catcher, the Mod Catcher deck. The new Dragon Stompy, yeah. Yeah, that deck is a piece of shit, in my opinion. Like, I, I, I've seen it play out a few times, and just about every time that I've seen somebody resolve their four-mana guy, if it was, like, any other aggressive four-mana guy, they just would have won the game two turns sooner. Okay, so let me take a quick aside on Dragon Stompy and its variants. Basically, the deck is hyper-inconsistent, and you have maybe, like, 45 good cards, which means the last 15 are just whatever you can find in your box or the dollar bin. And I don't think Modcatcher fixes that issue. Agreed. Well, and that's the way most Stompy decks work, though, isn't it? They're they're inconsistent due to lack of card draw. They're, You're just trying um, to use Chalice and Trinisphere to cut your opponent out of the good game. punishing cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the you thing can, about you can this... win games by just having the right combination of cards in your opening hand and you being on the play and your opponent is locked out for the rest of the game. Exactly. And oh, then it sounds doesn't... like Spanish Inquisition. At that well, at that point, you're just looking for the fastest clock. And a two-two gray ogre or a four-mana gray ogre that can't do anything when it enters the battlefield has to live, has to untap, and you have to invest another three mana in and tap him for. Like almost any what are you other four with mana that? beater so, would have just won the game if you've established. Right. So what are you getting with that? Seven mana combined. <laughs> yeah, you could just have that minute. Like you're levels. getting a siege gang commander. That, that doesn't seem very exciting. No, and, and you know. I just think at that point, when you've established any kind of soft lock or your opponent's mooned out of the game, just find the fastest clock, you know? Find a dragon or find a thing with haste. Uh, anything at that point, you know, that doesn't die to bolt. I would almost say that cough is a better four drop in those moon decks than a creature. Because at least you get a 4-4 four, four right away and you have no end of supply of 4-4s four, because all your lands are mountains. Yeah. And the ultimate's actually inevitable. And it only takes like three turns to get there. I would take Hebrew of Oxid Ridge over that guy. And that's saying something. He's a 4-2. On to the next one? Sure. All right. Uh, Titania, Protector of Argoth. Legendary creature elemental. It's three green green for a 5-3. When Titania, Protector of Argoth, enters the battlefield, return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Whenever a land you control is put into the graveyard into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a five three green elemental creature token onto the battlefield. Sean has labeled this Titania Shitter of Juggernauts. Seems uh, fitting. <laughs> so, I mean, I I think I heard other people talking about this as well, but Sylvan Safekeeper seems interesting with this card. Yeah, I've seen some discussions in, uh, for instance, a Maverick oriented list, which has many ways to put lands in its graveyard. Um, both with Metaverse Quarry, Wasteland, and Fetchlands, Fetchlands, um, or even Sylvan Safekeeper, like uh, Matt mentioned, and it hasn't been too uncommon to see Armageddon in the sideboard. So there's a lot of opportunity, for instance, use that Titania's line of text of put lands in graveyard, and even then, as a five mana, which really you can cheat with six mana and Greensun Cena for it, you're essentially getting an army of uh, Juggernauts, and I'm still not of the opinion that an army of juggernauts, or under most cases it's going to be like one a turn. Maybe two a turn if you're sequenced correctly. Like for instance, Night of Royal into a fetch land, into a whatever, basic, and you get two five threes. In order it to get seems to, like... Yeah, I mean, it's so. a lot of power on the board, but in order to get to that point of the game, and have Titania enter the, enter the battlefield, and then sequence those remaining plays means the game is pretty much stalled out, and you're just in the late game. Yeah, my concern with this is being at 5 mana, you're not casting it reliably before turn 4, and you need to be doing something in those leading turns, so you're probably playing a mana dude on turn 1, and then turn 2 and 3, you need to play something to prevent you from dying before you get to Titania. 
Right. So getting to Tanya into the battlefield is almost a foregone conclusion that the game is already in your control. In which case, you can get any other five drop, like Seed Rhino. He's a four drop. This so this is I I almost feel like is essentially the Jace the Mind sculptor of green because you're gonna put it into play and if you have it from there you should win the game but getting it into play is might be a little bit troublesome. I mean I think if you're playing veteran explorer this uh, this thing might be kind of interesting. I mean if you've got a veteran explorer deck with greens and zenith you could, yeah. could compare this to Thrag Tusk right. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody takes away Swag Tusk. Come on now. I think we're also getting into the thing, you know, people used to say when a card was overpowered, oh, it'll probably be good in stacks, and Veteran Explorer is just the new version of that. Like, this is, maybe this will be good in this deck that's already kind of fringe, and I don't think this really makes it that much better. Yeah. I think maybe that's what we're kind of looking at here, and it's saying, maybe this is one mana too much to make an impact. I one agree. I think if this was... too expensive, and at that point in Legacy, you should have already won. I agree. I mean, I think if this card were two green green, I could I would definitely be trying it out at oh, five. Yeah, I would totally play this over Thrun. Yeah. But he's all the times that you play Thrun. Yeah, and then he's getting cut for Titania. You could also play Sigarda at five mana. Like if you're looking for some sort of like you know, beefy like to like Sigarda's quite good. Yeah, as far as like an end game or late game game changers, I I would choose Sigarda over Titania. Just because and now you have a five five flyer, you have evasion and protection built in, and Caracas. All you have to do, and Caracas, in case something goes terribly wrong. Well, Caracas helps both Titania and Sigarda. Well, I mean Titania, they can just Caracas her if they have Caracas. Whereas Sigarda, they can't Caracas with their Caracas, but you can Caracas with their Caracas if they terminus your Sigarda. You have your own Caracas to return. Can you say Caracas one more time? Yeah, bank statement Caracas. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you, you totally broke my train of thought there. Um, the, at least the nice feature with Titania is that you would be able to respond, for instance, with land activations, wasteland, fetchland, whatever, in order to get some value out of Titania. And then their opponent still has to deal with the 5-3. Unfortunately, the 5-3 is not well paired up against the format full of 1-1 elemental tokens, and I think that's where the shortcoming of Titania is going to be. Yeah. So... I know this is a thought experiment, and you know what if, but if the if they were five three trample tokens, then we'd be then we'd be talking. Okay. Yeah, trample is big game. It's worth noting that she can be blocked by walls. <laughs> uh, one thing I think is really interesting about this would be like the place I would want to use it the most would be they attack. You go okay, um, activate knight, go get a land, so you get one elemental, or go get a fetch land, fetch the fetch land get another elemental and then maybe like you have a wasteland out waste it get two more yep and now you have four five threes blocking all their dudes untap probably unkill you probably just kill you and i think we may be also underplaying titania's come into play ability which is return a land onto the battlefield i mean that right away sets up a at least one token activation possibly two because you'll probably return a fetch land no just one no, just a one. One, because the fetch land goes to the graveyard one time. Uh, the other thing that does is it makes wasteland less good once once this resolves and the enter the battlefield is on the stack. You have undone one wasteland, and they will probably not be wastelanding you again. I think it's a blanket statement that if you've resolved a five mana spell, wasteland has failed. Yeah, <laughs> echoing what Sean said. You've already gotten to five mana. Wasteland's already moot point. All right. Well, enough All about right. her. She's an elemental, also for you, Cavern of Elemental fan. 
All right, the next one, I actually had to go look at the spoiler because Sean put it in the show notes as BB Double Doom Blade. Yeah, I'm not sure what this is getting at either, Sean. Malicious Affliction. It costs black black. It is an instant. It says, Morbid, when you cast Malicious Affliction, if a creature died this turn, you may copy Malicious Affliction and choose a new target for the copy. Destroy target non-black creatures. So basically, if a creature has already died, pay black black, destroy two non-black creatures. So some sort of like... Post like so for it to be really good, you have to be usually either use another removal spell or basically be post combat and then kill two creatures. Two non black creatures. Yeah. So you can't Oy. kill Dark Confidant, you can't kill Death Rite Shaman, you can't kill nine nine demons. Can't kill twenty twenty merit lasers because they're also indestructible. That's that's correct. So Sean, you put this on the list. What is it that you're interested in putting this with? Um you know, I could see it, you know, there's sometimes when you get in situations, I, the deck that comes to mind is Shaved Ape Jund, you know, where you have trouble maybe dealing with a mass of creatures. So this coupled with like a Liliana, a Liliana uh, fuck, I can't speak, Liliana activation is pretty devastating. Um, you know, I've, I've run cards like Terminate, um, you know, sort of Maelstrom Pulse, which is a little bit of a different ball game, but... Things to supplement your abrupt decays um, and your bolts in order to always win the Tarmogoy fight. You know, maybe that guy, maybe this card could be there. Another thing is, like, if your deck leverages things like Cabal Therapy um, pretty consistently, you know, this card could be a pretty good um, out against, you know, the combination of, like, a Delver and a Young Money, or a Swift Spear and a Delver, or a Young Money and a extra token that kind of thing so along the lines of talking about cabal therapy my immediate thought with this is bitter blossom Mm. because we're saying post combat this is really good so you always have a chump blocker and you chump block and then kill two dudes yeah um what you're talking about playing with other removal spells also like you decay and then you do this so triple black and a green to kill three things that's not awful yeah yeah i I think it's okay i mean it's it was it's it was Arguably the best new removal spell they printed in this thing. Though some of the white stuff was garbage. Um, but anyway, we can move on to the next suboptimal. Card. I would point out one other thing uh, that you cannot get. That's a big deal. Is you cannot get a germ token. True. Or a seed rhino. Yes. We're gonna get to the seed rhino eventually. I hope so. I really fucking hope so. Siege Rhino is not in the commander set, so I don't know what it, you're talking about. It's not, but I think it's finally making splashes in Legacy. It could, it, I could be mistaken. I may have been watching a standard match on Star City Live and thought it was Legacy. No, no, it's uh, it's quite good against Blue Red Delver. I think I told the story on the last cast, but if not, I'll definitely tell it again. All right, well, we've got one more. Um, Nahiri, <clears throat> last card, Nahiri the Lithomancer. Three white, white, Planeswalker Nahiri, comes in with three loyalty, plus two, put a 1-1 one, one white core soldier creature token onto the battlefield. You may attach an equipment you control to it. Minus two, you may put an equipment card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. And minus ten, put a colorless equipment artifact token named Stoneforged Blade onto the battlefield. It has indestructible, comma, equipped creature gets plus five plus five and has double strike, and equip zero. Nahiri the Lithomancer can be your commander. Starting loyalty? Three. Three. So if Wizards hasn't just taken a baseball bat and slammed you over the head with the imagery on this card um the obvious only place for this suboptimal elspeth i mean seems like stone blade to me 
Um, like, it's I I would argue it's I could see it I could see it being elsewhere. used in angel stacks. Honestly, angel uh, stacks or stoneforge mystics. I just want a bane slayer. Probably I don't even know. I want moat and bane slayer though. I mean, if you think about it, this planeswalker, even though it costs five, takes the place of Elspeth and Stoneforge combined. Right, so you get the token generation, you get the equipment kind of synergies. Unfortunately, you don't she get doesn't the searching for the equipment though, which is a big deal because it means that your batter skull is no longer a one of; it's a three plus of. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then the ultimate is kind of like okay, uh, I wasn't able to kill you yet. I'm going to make a token, even with all the tokens. I'm going to make a token equipment and then put it on my one one token and kill you in one shot. I don't know. I just don't like it. It's way overcosted for what you want. You could just be playing Stoneforge Mystic. You could also just be playing Elspeth, which yeah, more of a same four mana is yeah, but plus just one fine. is just as good as Elspeth, and Elspeth is one mana cheaper. Yeah, the the only place where it's not better than Elspeth is when you have an unequipped Gite yeah. or Batterskull. Sword or Batter Skull. The and only the Gite thing... and the Sword are not big deals because they're equipped cost two, so it's basically only a big deal when you have an unequipped Batter Skull. I mean, it's not a bad turn. I mean, if you resolve, I mean, if you resolve a five mana planeswalker, you probably should be flipping the table and shitting in your opponent. But like, you know, plus one to you know they've just killed your germ. You land this thing, and now all of a sudden, you know, you have a five five, and your your planeswalker is at five loyalty. It's, you know, it's it's narrow, but maybe as a one of, you know, there's some games where it would look spectacular. I'm not sure if any of those games. You know, you weren't just better off casting Elspeth and, you know, for one less mana, having a guy and then untapping and equipping your dork. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how many times it's going to be better. And I think we, we touched up on this right at the beginning of this, this section. You want to be playing Stoneforge Mystic with this kind of deck anyway. So it's more so redundant of what you would need in terms of, and it's a high-end cost. So maybe Elspeth is a little bit better in that style of deck if you're already running for Stoneforge. Yeah. Uh, it's also worth noting, like, that um, the second ability could take the place of garbage like Academy Ruins. You know, if you're just banking on Academy Ruins to always have Batter Skull around, um, you know, you can. The fact that you can get it from the graveyard, maybe there's some. some... I, I, I think that's pretty marginal, because if I'm playing Academy Ruins, I'm probably also playing other artifacts. Uh, specifically, I'm probably playing Engineered Explosives, yeah. and this only gets equipment. So I would still rather have Academy Ruins. Uh, well, I could, see, I could is... see maybe a one of being played in a blue-white Stoneforge deck. Maybe. Like, some decks sometimes want an Elspeth, and this could potentially replace that Elspeth as a token so generator. So you're talking about an extremely heavy control build, because we're blue-white only, and we're trying to get to five mana, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, in, in those decks before, I ran, for instance, Tamiyo... Um, as an added control element, or sometimes an Elspeth because I needed tokens to win the game. This could easily replace one of those. Um, I don't think with the current current uh, Legacy metagame, with Treasure Cruise and a bunch of 1-1s, that there's room for it yet, but maybe in some distant future Legacy metagame, one of them might make sense here. One of the things that sets Elspeth apart, it's subtle, but like, Elspeth beats Jace, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, in terms of a head-to-head fight, it's tough for the opponent to keep a Jace on the board when you have Elspeth. So this this doesn't do as great a job, obviously, at fighting your opponent's Jace if you're in this late stage of the game where maybe it turns into a Planeswalker fight. 
Unless you have an equipment out and play, like a Sophie or something absurd, you know. But again, we're those are corner cases. Yeah, the the only place I'm seeing a real obvious home for this is in an EDH deck where you're bouncing Stoneforge Mystic and playing it repeatedly. And instead of using its ability to put stuff in, you use Nahiri's. That's the only thing I'm really interested in doing this with, is like Resto Angeling my uh, Stoneforge Mystic in a singleton format to go get another giant thing. Would you just want to play Stonehewer Giant and just pop it out of your deck immediately for two mana? Why not both? Why not both? It's EDH. Yeah. I guess you only have one of each, so might as well play all of them. Uh, and it's and what, what stone blade mystic or whatever that one instant one mana tutor for an equipment steel shaper's gift that's the one yeah has cool art why don't why does Nancy play in like in modern that's an interesting one it did I thought yeah it did no it, yeah. yeah it seems like the problem is all the best equipment are banned yeah I should play that in my affinity deck find that green ale plating immediately. Seems okay. Alright, so um, that's the stuff we wanted to cover today. Um, if y'all want to talk about Siege Rhino, that's cool. I'm going to hop off because it is 2.30 my time now, and I haven't done anything all day. So, Alright, bonus, bonus uh, section. Siege Rhino. Okay, so here's my story about Siege Rhino that happened, I guess, about two weeks ago now. Alright, listen up. So I'm playing Nick Fit Pod, and I'm playing his Blue Red Delver. And he goes... Well, I have this, like, young pyromancer, and I'm like, oh, this is shitty. So I play Kitchen Finks, and I gain two life. And then I potted away for a Siege Rhino, and then I gain two more life, and then another three life. And all was good. And then I Resto Angel the Siege Rhino, and all was right in the world. I've also gone Siege Rhino for Siege Rhino with Recurring Nightmare, and just, like, hop them back and forth, and... That's also quite good. I, killed I think somebody, the card is actually uh, quite good. I killed somebody in Modern with a Siege Rhino when they had a Rune Halo naming Siege Rhino. <laughs> That's a oh, trigger? because it doesn't target. Very nice. Yeah. And he oh! Had, yeah, he had like it's a, a life loss, not a damage. And I couldn't even Very attack. Nice. So I Siege Rhino, drained him for three, and then rested the Siege Rhino and drained him for the last three. I want to play the Nick Fit deck, the, the same one Matt's talking about, but we're recurring Nightmare and two Siege Rhinos. Just go... No, you don't. You two is not enough. You play just play four. Oh, <laughs> no! Yeah, this, is, this is like a modern deck or something. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, let me read out this list here. I've actually been testing it on Cockatrice. Cockatrice is not the best place to test. I understand. Well, well, hold so on. I've got. Bob was able to win a tournament on the back of Cockatrice testing. I think he's got some. Uh, okay. Some secret just let here. like I'm going to read out this list and you tell me what you think. Four Sensei's Divining Top. One Dryad Arbor, which I think I'm going to end up cutting. I don't think it's quite good enough. An Eternal Witness, a Reclamation Sage, four Siege Rhino, a Sigarda, a Thrag Tusk, a Thrun, and four Veteran Explorer. Three Deed, a Recurring Nightmare, uh, three Abrupt Decay, three, you know, I'm either thinking Path of Exile, Swords of Plowshares, we'll talk about that in a second. A Zealous Persecution Main, um, Council's Judgment, four Greens and Zenith, four Cabal Therapy, 23 lands, and I'm trying to squeeze in Baneslayer Angels. Needs more Brainstorm. Really? Brainstorm. That's that's what you think. Well, I mean, if you draw to too many type. Siege Rhinos in your opening hand, you can just shuffle them back. Then you just play them. Then you just play them. Shot. I think it needs a Sun Titan and a Pernicious Deed, so you can Pernicious Deed everything. I know, but you're not Pod, right? Like, if you were Pod, I would say, sure, obviously. You no, just no, no. Go if you're not Pod, I would say go as a Sun Titan. If you're Podding, then there's no sense to play with a Sun Titan. Unless you want to a... get more fodder for your Pod to get more Siege Rhinos. 
I don't know. Like, a one of Sun Titan is pretty loose. I mean, when you draw it, you'll be like, cool, I can play this sometime, maybe. I'm going to let the dream of going Pod into Kitchen Finks, into Sea Drino, into Fragtusk, and win at, like, 48 life. Yeah, yeah. Or instead of Brainstorm, you just play the green Brainstorm, Wall of Blossoms. I do have Korean Wall of Blossoms. I have signed Korean Wall of Blossoms. No, I think Siege Rhino, I know we were talking about like Siege Rhino being one mana too much for Legacy. And I agree, most of the time that's probably true. But a 4-5 trample that drains is not bad against a bunch of, against a format with a bunch of little 1-1s. One it's definitely not bad at all. And Trune Nemesis. Like, trampling over Trune Nemesis feels real good. Just real, real good. I think you need Lightning Greaves. I think you may be going too deep. But we are a Nick Fit, so we can actually go as deep as we want. Yeah. Stop calling my, my it Nick Fit. Fit. My Nick no, Fit has me, been me, always like a Sun a Titan build. Here. Like my my Nick Fit has always been a Sun Titan build. I just think Sun Titan provides so much advantage with deed. pernicious deed that you yeah. you stand to lose so much by not just blowing up the world every time, every turn. So play of the week for me as well. Uh, playing, I was playing the Tezzeret, the black blue Tezzeret deck. Uh, the sixty one card special playing uh, Tezzeret the Seeker, Agent of Bolas. Uh, Thopter Founder combo, The Abyss, all the good things, right? Blue Line Helm main, because why not? Round one, I play against Gold Digger, which is that new Dig Through Time deck. I'm, it, You know, it's the deck, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, turn zero, Blue Line of the Void, Ancient Tomb, Chalice on one. Pass. And that deck obviously just folds to that, because they will never cast a Dig Through Time or a one of their, like, 16 cantrips. So after, like, turn three, he's just like, well, fuck this, we're going to game two. Uh, game two, he just kind of out. No, we only went to two games. Yeah, because I crushed him again. That's right. Uh, I don't have a lee line. I go Ancient Tomb, Chalice, he counters. I go, okay, pass. He does nothing. Uh, passes back to me. Chalice number two. Oop, that resolves. You die. Great. Move on to round two. Painter. Apparently Chalice of the Void is good against Painter, too. You know, who knew, right? Absolutely dominated him. Uh, 2-1, unfortunately, because I got really bad draws. Uh, round 3, Blue Line Storm. <laughs> well, no, because I actually ended up with uh, with no lands. I, yeah, it was just bad times. Bad mulligans. Yeah, add Brainstorm. The deck will improve. No, I'm, I'm okay with my Chalice of the Void thing. Serum Powder? Nope. So then go on to round 3, play against Jund. And uh, who knew Jund was a bad matchup with... Uh, my my particular Jund deck that I loaned out with like Cross and Grips and Ancient you know, grudge. Grudges, yeah, and uh, four abrupt decays, and it was very hateful. I didn't like it. Yeah, I that was that was pretty bad. Then I played against Countertop Thopters. So Thopter on Thopter action. I hit the Ensnaring Bridge. We go back and forth. Game one, just just destroy it. Um, I just go for the quickly line uh, Helm, and you know I bait out a Counterspell earlier and just get him. Game two is back and forth, and we're both building up a Thopter army under an Ensnaring Bridge when um, I draw the Keltrops. So, in case you guys don't know what Keltrops is, it is a three-mana artifact. Whenever a creature attacks, Keltrops deals one damage to it. So basically, nobody was going anywhere at that point. There was no way for his Thopters to attack in and actually do anything. And uh, neither was I. So then I just hit Tezzerite Agent of Bolas, and, well, that was it. Do you really think I didn't know what Caltrops did? No, no, for the viewers. Oh. I know it. Listeners. Come on. I, I know you know what Caltrops is, don't 
Greasy, greasy 7th edition white-bordered Caltrops. Ugh. The best kind. It was, uh, it was filth. I've been testing on Cockatrice again, and uh, Blue-Red Delver has real trouble with that card if it results. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Also, Lodestone Golem, hell of a card. I haven't played with that card much. I know, uh, obviously, Sean, you have, because that card's amazing. Do you play one or four in that list? I play two. Okay. And I really, really like it. Because I just, I, w I had to lock out uh, my Jund opponent in one game. Because I had Chalice on one, he was stuck on two lands, and he's like, I can tell he's like trying to build up his land base, and I just go Tezzeret the Seeker, minus four, Lodestone Golem. And that was, uh, it is quite a spicy meatball, that Lodestone Golem. I've been playing Blue Black Tez since the Commander decks in the spring of whenever the hell Baleful Strix was Commander. Was that Commander 2013? No. Uh, 2012. Wing Chase. Sorry. Yeah. I actually took Blue Black Tez to the Atlanta Legacy Grand Prix that we got in like June. Uh, some people refer to that I as... Remember seeing you, I remember seeing you play that deck and trying to figure out, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. I, mean, you know, I didn't realize that was you at the time because I assumed you were much more neckbeardy. Yeah, it turns out I didn't have a beard. Um, yeah, the original build I had a bit, you know, two Abyss, and it really leaned on Baleful Strix and Thopter Foundry. And I was actually playing two Intuitions and um, to set up like Crucible Ruins bullshit piles where I could always get either Waste Lock or get the artifact I wanted. And honestly, one of the biggest problems in that deck is just finding one of your four Tezzerets. So sometimes I would just actually Intuition for three Tezzerets. Um, but. One of the things that I, I didn't like was in trying the deck with Force of Will, I found that a lot of the time, the thing that you had to pitch with Force of Will was a really, really, really good card. You know, not not replaceable through cantripping. Um, so yeah. I think over like an eight or a nine round tournament, you're going to probably, you know, probably have issues in a couple of rounds. So not really fearing turn zero combo. Um I ditched the Force of Wills for just more business spells to try to make it make your initial hands a little more dense and things like intuition to fix. Uh, you know, normally soul land decks can get crappy, obviously get crappy openers. So playing things like intuition to help settle your opening hand um, was what I was trying. I, I, I just think over a long tournament, I think that's in that I was attempting like thirst for knowledge. Like now you, yeah, you now you probably have to just play thirst for knowledge and deck fade. Yeah, but now you're introducing a fourth, a third color, which is. Even oh, but you already, I already am. I'm oh. playing Volcanic Island for, gobl for Goblin Welder in the board. So you're going for the full greed package. Oh, why not? You're playing a fucking Chalice Trinisphere deck. Why not? Also, Transmute Artifact is hilarious because it's definitely a reader. I haven't, I haven't played against a person yet who's like, I know exactly what that does. They're like, uh, well, I'll counter that. Okay. But doesn't your artifact go with it? No, no, it does not. You must play with children. We had a nine-year-old who actually was playing Mono Green uh, the other night, and you know what? I commended him for coming out. He actually beat a Maverick player, which is... I'm okay with that. Oh, God. Just some Mono Green, like, garbage. And he was excited about the format, and I was like, I will let you borrow a deck as long as you don't play that pile ever again. So what you're telling me is the Maverick player couldn't beat a 3-3 Rogue Elephant? Correct. I mean, sad. if you know in your tournament nobody's bringing, like, Belcher, then just lose the Force of Wills, play Intuition, and then you can set up your Thopter Sword package with Impunity, right? And Yeah, I think that's what I'm actually going to do. I'm just going to move the forces to the board, and I still get all the lovely things like Caltrops. And... 
My build plays Trading Post, most importantly. And like, oh, yeah. I, tra I tried a one-off Trading Post. That was fun. It's yeah, good. and it's basically functions as like another planeswalker, and you know the you know once you get used to playing with trading posts, you've got all the recursion tricks with Uncle Skills or uh, uh, Baleful Strix, and um, you can do silly things. Obviously, with uh, once you commit to intuition, you can throw one ofs in your deck like a smokestack or you know a cursed totem or like a whatever, and yeah, and then that's exactly the list. That's exactly the list I played about a year ago. Intuition, Trading Post, Crucible of Worlds to recur the Artifact Lands. Yeah, yeah. Problem is, Intuition is skill-intensive. That's bullshit. You just pick three random cards. <laughs> Even a nine-year-old could do it properly. Apparently. Have you ever responded to somebody's Intuition with an Aven Mind Sensor? That's some fun. Well, yeah, but they're essentially Super Impulse. <laughs> I'm going to pick one of these to... Oh, no. Seems seems good. All right. Well, that's all I got. Are you playing BDM? I think it'll be fine. And in terms of me, I haven't played Magic in weeks. Actually, I went to play a Legacy weekly, and I took uh, Blue, White, Red, Stone Blade, and I lost to uh, something. Private something not Wolves. respectable. And I think it was... It wasn't Elves. It wasn't Jund. Nourishing Lich? No, I mean, it was a standard... It was like a grinder, Star City Open type of deck. Because there's a bunch of grinders at that store, so that's where I get my chops in on a rare occasion. It was, was a good it, deck, uh, it just Charles needs tuning. I didn't feel like Jace main deck was appropriate, so I put it in the sideboard and never really wished for it. It was good. Right now I'm building Omnitel with uh, Dig Through Time. That's yeah, there's a, it's a good deck at our store who plays Omnitel with four main deck red blasts. <laughs> The other deck the is Maverick, goes. and I actually put Corsair Crucifix into that one, and I tested it out yesterday. It seems pretty good. You like the uh, two four body? I, I like the two four body against the Lightning Bolt format. I also like just the insane amount of card advantage you could set up with Sylvan Library, which yeah. is really what it's there for. It's a card advantage creature, essentially filter out all your bad draws. But ultimately, I multiply and beat Blue White Red Stone Blade by making a Dark Depths token on turn five. Oops. So. <laughs> So, yay Get variants. There. Get there! So, I'm probably going to be on Maverick for the Invitational. Matt, you're going to the Invitational, right? No, obviously I have a final exam on the same day. Ugh. Yeah, obviously, right? Can you take it early so we can play together? Obviously I asked, and they're like, nope. Okay. Are you going to be there during that weekend? No. At all? So just... No. I can't, I can't come down at all. Like, it's it's the fucking worst. Ugh. I know, right? I'm like, I plan this, like, I'm like, oh yeah, August rolls around, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna totally go to this thing, and and then I'm like, final exam schedule, fuck my life. Yeah, that sucks. Because uh, I'm gonna be there in Tacoma, hanging out at uh, my girlfriend's We were hanging out with um, girlfriend's family as well, right? Yeah, so I don't even need hotel, which is awesome. Uh, it means I need to bring, like, a couple bottles of wine, which is no big deal. Yeah, you can also buy them there, too, if you... Well, I have to piss like a racehorse, so I'm going to stop recording now and go um, relax my bladder. I'll, I'll catch up with you guys later. All right, see you. All right, me too. Feedback is always appreciated. Email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast. Or follow us on Twitter at eternalmpg.com.